Please take your seats. Kids, you can head out now to children's worship. The rest of us, we're going to be continuing our look uh, this morning at the Old Testament book of Numbers. We're up to uh, uh, chapter 31, and uh, chapter 31, uh, the whole of chapter 31 is printed in the bulletin, uh, all 54 verses. I'm not going to read all 54 verses. We're going to read the first seven uh, this morning, and uh, and then we'll kind of summarize uh, uh, from there. So uh, uh, the text is in the bulletin and also uh, up on the screens behind me, Numbers chapter 31. Uh, verses 1 to 7, this is the Word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Avenge the people of Israel on the Midianites. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm men from among you for the war, that they may go against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. You shall send a thousand from each of the tribes of Israel to the war. So there were provided out of the thousands of Israel, a thousand from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. And Moses sent them to the war, a thousand from each tribe, together with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, with the vessels of the sanctuary and the trumpets for the alarm in his hand. And they warred against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses and killed every male. So I don't, I don't know what it's like <coughs> in your house um, or... Uh, uh, how uh, you may uh, you may think about this, but in our house and our family, uh, there is one thing uh, that does not deserve to live. Uh, we have a disagreement about this in our family, uh, and that's spiders. Spiders. Uh, if, uh, if there's a spider in the house, uh, lots of screaming. Lots of violence, lots of intensity about the spiders. Now, personally, you know, uh, I would never have one as a pet. I know some of you, may, there may be some of you in here who have spiders as a pet. That's fine. Just don't tell my wife that you have a, a spider as a pet. Uh, but the fact, the fact of the matter is, uh, these uh, spiders, I, I'm actually for spiders because... Uh, they eat the bugs, right? And so, uh, uh, not that we have any bugs in our house, but uh, if we did uh, and there were spiders in our house, they would eat the bugs. And so that would be a good thing, right? So, so when, we, when we come at things like this, all of us have something in our mind that we think, you know, the world would be so much better off without this. Some of you have people in mind. Right. Some of you have people in mind that you think, wow, you know, the world would be a lot better if these people weren't in the world. Tell me you don't watch the news and think that. Right. Or maybe it's in your neighborhood or maybe it's in your family. (coughs) Right. We could do without that. Right. So so one of the things that you have to see whenever we come at a text like this in the scriptures, one of the things that happens to us is, you know, this is this does not sit well uh, with uh, modern, postmodern, whatever we are, ears, right? We, we read a text like this and we think, you know, I don't, I don't like these kinds of texts in the Bible. I, I uh, uh, honestly, it, it makes me uncomfortable because it's violent. 
uh, it's unremitting, uh, and it's very clear uh, about what God is doing. And so we, we read a text like this, and it, it makes us uncomfortable. And, and if you read the rest of this, this text, there's even more stuff in here to make you uncomfortable. And so, so as we come at something like this, it, it's very challenging. Because the fact is, uh, every single one of us uh, reads the Bible a, a certain way. I mentioned this at the letter that I wrote at the beginning of the uh, at the bullet at the beginning of the bulletin because and and I use specifically you know we interpret the Bible our way we have certain passages of the Bible that are our favorite but the truth of the matter is and what's more deadly is there are certain passages in the Bible that we actually edit right that we decide that's in the Bible I will ignore it I don't like that I'm going to pretend like that's not there right. Uh, we're from Virginia, you know, we know our, uh, one of our great, uh, 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 guys in Virginia, Thomas Jefferson, apparently took his Bible, you know, the parts he liked, he left in the parts he didn't, he took out, right? Well, we're all Jeffersonian, frankly, right? We all take parts of the Bible and we're like, yeah, I'd like to hear more about that. Not so much about this, right? So of course we, we, we approach it that way. That's. That's that's the way it works. And so whenever we come to a text like this that we say, you know, like, let's just skip over the stuff about war and vengeance <coughs> and God being this way. And let's move on to something else. Let's talk about, uh, you know, nice stuff. Nice. Right. Uh, and and one of the things that uh, you have to say is and one of the things that is challenging to me is that whenever I come up to, against a passage that makes me uncomfortable, I should pay more attention, not less. If I read something that challenges my preconceived notions, I, I should I should dig in there and think a little bit more about what's going on and what what God has uh, to say to me uh, in in that. And so here we come to this text where God, as the people of, of God are getting ready to go to go across uh, the Jordan River into the promised land. They're there on the plains of Moab uh, as they're making these final preparations to go. And the last few things that Moses needs to take care of before God's going to gather him to his people God says, hey, remember what the Midianites did, uh, that they uh, seduced uh, you spiritually. And so we need to deal with that. And that's what's that's what's happening here in this text. Go ahead and put my, my notes up there, Megan. So so as we look at this, you have to say, then, what's the point of the story? Why is it? Why is it that this is included here? And what is the, the value of this story for us? <coughs> remember, Paul says. Uh, in his uh, correspondence with the church in Corinth, when he talks about numbers, when he talks about what's happening in the wilderness, he says those those stories were recorded. Those things are there for us. And so whenever we read a text like this that is violent and a text that is hard for us to get our brains around, one of the things that we have to do is we have to be willing to submit ourselves to the text first and and understand that God must have something in this for us as we as we look at this, right? So what you, one of the things that you note about this is, is that, that of this, of these 54 verses that are in this chapter, only seven verses deal with the actual conflict. And then the rest of the passage, the rest of the other 48 verses deal with, uh, the reality of, uh, what to do as a result of that. And so, it's a it's a it's a pretty profound uh, picture of the way of what God wants to communicate to us, because if if we went to uh, if you hired a uh, 
a, a, a movie director, a Hollywood movie director, and said, I want you to take Numbers chapter 31, and I want you to make a movie out of it. Right? What, what would the movie be about? Well, the movie would look like Braveheart, wouldn't it? It would be all about fighting and all about violence and all about stirring speeches and, and guys doing cool things like that rather than guys after the battle washing their clothes, which is what they have to do. Because the remainder of the, 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 God's very straightforward. Well, they, they chose this army. They go out, they fight. And then when they're done, they have to spend a week outside of the camp, not celebrating, not partying, but cleaning themselves up of, of making them, of, and, and even taking the, the plunder that they got and cleaning it up. Right? So, so as we look at this, that's one of the, we have to say, well, what's going on here? Why? This, this does not seem like the, the what, what we would expect. And so unlike uh, all of the uh, other, uh, most of the battles that we see in the Old Testament, especially in Joshua and First and Second Samuel, this is not a battle of conquest. <coughs> the people of God aren't doing this to take territory, right? They're not, they're not doing this to displace someone else because this is where God wants them to be. This is, this is a war of dealing a blow against enemies who would destroy Israel, Right? Now, now, one of the things that we think about this is, and, and this is, this is, this is why this is so hard for us. If I were to, if I were to ask you to, this morning, if uh, before you walked in here, what is it that will be your undoing? You would have said cancer, bad diet, drinking, smoking, right? Uh, Bad, bad health, uh, losing my job, economic setback. Maybe uh, someone I know or someone I love experiencing something like that. That would be my undoing. I would not be able to deal with that. If you look at this text and what you take from it is, is that the Midianites are somehow a threat to the people of God. They are not a military threat. They're not an economic threat. Uh, they're, you know, they, they're, there's nothing about them other than the fact that we read a few weeks ago in chapter 25 about how they seduced the people of God and they put them in a situation where their undoing was imminent because of their sin. And this is the thing. And this is what makes this text so challenging and so hard for us is, is that we have a disagreement with God about what our problem is. We think our problem is all these other things and all these other people, right? We think these, our, our problem is uh, the fact that I might get sick and die or that I might lose my job or that my, my retirement might go down or that, that my home might not be as comfortable or, or that my car might break down or, or those things. And, and let me tell you, those things are no fun and they, they stink. But they can't undo you eternally. But sin can't. At the beginning of the uh, of the bulletin, there's a great quotation from Bunyan's uh, 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 work called Holy War. And this is what the Lord says, right? Uh, I will pray for you. I will fight for you. I will yet do you good. Nothing can hurt you but sin. Nothing can grieve me but sin. Nothing can debase you before your foes but sin. Take heed of sin, my man's soul, right? Take heed of sin. Now, 
Now, now the, the fact of the matter is, why would you have to tell people to take heed of sin? Because we know that we live with it in us, outside of us, around us all the time. Well, that's why we need to take heed of it. Because what will we do with it? What do we do with our sin? We make peace with it. Now, now, let me, let me correct that. You don't make peace with sin and other people. Right? I, I am more than willing, uh, to confront your sin. And I can point your sin out. I see it. I'm really, I'm really willing to go to bat and go to war against your sin. Because it bothers me. It really bothers me. Right? Um, but the fact is, you know, what, what we read here is, is that the Lord sees our sin for what it is and he goes to war. And, and, and the, the, the fact is what we read in the scriptures, what we read here in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is that there is an ongoing, constant, unremitting, implacable conflict between the Lord of glory and our and his enemy sin. And he will not let that enemy win. When our hearts, when our affections, when our bodies, when our lives, right? And so as, as we look at this text, one of the things that you have to see about that is that what's happening here with the Midianites and the Israelites really ultimately is, a, is an issue of, of, of spiritual warfare, literally. Because Midian would cause Israel to sin, to fall off track, to be, become uh, enmeshed in rebellion against God. And so what does God do? He says, well, we're going to go fight them. Now, if you know anything, if you've been following along at all with, with numbers, one of the things that we read is, is that, you know, the army uh, that they could have mustered out would have been like 600,000, give or take, right? So how many people do, do they want to take to fight the Midianites? Just a thousand per tribe. So it's a tiny army. Who's going to lead the army? Joshua, the general? No. Phineas, the priest, leads the army. Now, you know, when, when our uh, Air Force, Army, Navy, and Marines goes to battle for us, they don't take the guys in the clerical collars and the, and the uh, church robes and put them out front. Praise God, right? They don't do that. <laughs> they don't do that. So this is kind of an unusual battle, right? Instead of sending the, the tanks out or the, or the uh, airplanes out or that kind of stuff, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to get Phineas and we're going to get the Levites and the priests and we're going to get the stuff, the implements, <coughs> out of the uh, tabernacle and we're going to go deal with this, right? So this is, this is a very unusual kind of kind of way to think about this. This is not the typical way in which we would, we would think, we would think about this. And so, so the, a tiny little part of the, of, of the army is used and they're led by priests and Levites, not soldiers. And all we're told is they take the stuff from the tabernacle and they go out uh, to deal with the spiritual threat, right? Next slide, please, Megan. So, and, and that all happens in the first seven verses. And then verses 8 through 54, we would expect there to be a giant party, right? Because one of the things that we note about this is, is that they, is that the, the, they, they get all kinds of gold and they get all kinds of livestock and, and all of, uh, all of those kinds of things. <coughs> but rather than have a big party and celebrating and, uh, and writing hymns and songs and, and, and having flag waving ceremonies and that kind of stuff about the victorious army, what God says is, okay, 
All of you who are involved in this and all of the stuff that you brought back, you have to be outside of the camp for seven days. And for seven days, you're going to clean this stuff up. Because what's happening here and what and the, and the issue in, in all of this is, is that God sees not only in the eradication of their enemies that there's a spiritual danger there, even in having their stuff and settling in with their stuff and focusing their attention on their stuff, has to they have to be corrected and redirected uh, about what's going on here. I mean, honestly, if I were involved in this, and I can't imagine that I ever would be, but if I were involved in this, and as a result of something, I got a lot of gold, I'm not going to spend my time cleaning it. I'm going to take it down here to the gold shop and say, how much can you give me for it, Right? But God says, hey, that's not what you're going to do. You're going to clean this stuff up. You're going to make it acceptable. Because what's what's happening here is not that we're doing this to enrich ourselves or or anything like that. We are. God is saying, listen, there's a hideous danger out here that would undo you and undo you forever. And, and you are so weak that this hideous danger is you don't even see it and that you would align yourself with it, that you would ally yourself with it. And as a result of that, I must enter into this conflict to break that alliance forever, right? So what we have to see about this is, is that what God is saying to them is, this is what matters the most. This is what's worth fighting over. This is what, what God will uh, command his people to get into a, a conflict, right? And so this is a, this is a pretty p- profound thing for us because we tend to think that this is not really the issue. And so what we have to say about all of this at the end is all of this should tell us how seriously God takes sin. And it's a good thing he takes it seriously because, frankly, most of the time we don't. Right? Most of the time we don't. Um, you see, that's one of the things that we have to see about the whole narrative of the Bible and the whole narrative of the gospel is that it is a narrative of conflict. It is a narrative of war. And it really is a, a narrative of bloodshed. Because you see, when, when God comes to Adam and Eve there in the garden and he looks at them and, and he says, why have you done this? What he does there by speaking the words that he does to Adam, to Eve, and then to the serpent is God is interjecting himself in this situation. Adam and Eve had aligned themselves, made allies with, made friends with their enemy. They liked him better. They wanted to do what he said. But God loved them too much to allow that to happen. And so he interjects himself into that situation and begins a eternal conflict that will end in the ultimate defeat and the ultimate breaking of the alliance that we made with that which would destroy us. <clears throat> when Jesus goes to the cemetery to raise Lazarus from the dead, we read that he wept and we read that he was moved deeply in spirit. Well, The language that's used there for that is not that he's sad or not that he's broken by grief and death, but that he is angry and that he is putting himself in a posture of conflict uh, because he sees there in that cemetery and he sees in the death of his friend Lazarus the, 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 the natural outcome of our aligning ourselves with our enemies. 
And so as a result of that, what, what happens there is, is that God enters into this. God enters into conflict. And if you don't think he takes this conflict seriously, then you, you can't think about the cross in any other way except that at the cross, Jesus Christ demonstrates to us his love for us, certainly, but his love is demonstrated to us in the fact that he wages war at the cost of his own life for us. Because our tendency will always be to align ourselves with that which is false, right? And that would end in our death and destruction. You know, um, the Bible tells us that faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? If somebody loves you uh, and, and somebody's for you and they see you engaging in behavior and in patterns and thought that's going to end in death, if they don't say something to you about that, if they don't do something about that, they don't love you. God sees us plunged in our mis- misery and, and, and our, uh, in our depth of our sin. And, and, and the fact is, for most of us, we don't even know that we're doing that. And he intervenes. He comes and takes on our enemy for us. Now, I want to tell you that the rest, there's, there's stuff in the rest of this text that's very difficult. And uh, things that uh, you'll never be able to look at Moses the same way again when you read, when you read the rest of this text. Because it is... Is very challenging. I would say to you that if you read this and you're horrified, uh, you should be. Uh, but uh, before you get too horrified, uh, Google uh, uh, what Babylonians and Sumerians and Persians did to the people they captured. And this is really squeamish. This is pretty minor stuff uh, compared uh, uh, to what uh, the cultures around the people of God did. But I want you to understand something today, that Jesus loves you enough not just to live for you, not just to die for you, but to fight for you. He's a warrior for you, and you need it. Um, if, you, if you watch TV, you watch sporting events, <coughs> one of the things that you'll note is there are a lot of re- uh, t- uh, uh, commercials uh, by our military f- that recruit people. And, and one of the things that you'll see, one of the ones that jumps out at me is the army, you know, a force for good. And you see these guys in the army uh, passing out water or uh, relief supplies, which is a great thing. And they should do that. I'm glad they do that. Recently, I was at a graduation for 150 infantry officers. And I thought, well, this is what they'll tell these guys to do. You know, to, this is what they're here to do, to be a force for good. Wow. Was I ever wrong? So this colonel gets up and he says all kinds of stuff, really good stuff. But then he says, so your job is to find the enemy, to engage the enemy, to close with the enemy, destroy the enemy. That's what we pay you to do. That's what we've trained you to do. And I was shocked. I'm like, this doesn't seem very politically correct to me. And I'm looking, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, is anybody laughing at this? Is anybody concerned about this? Is anybody upset about this? And, and of course, you know, everybody's just sitting there looking. And uh, I, was, I was just stunned. Well, Jesus Christ came to find the enemy, to 
close with the enemy and to destroy the enemy for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he destroyed our biggest enemy. And he continues that work to fight for us. We have a God who loves us enough to fight on our behalf. As we come to the Lord's table today, it's good for us to be reminded of that. The words of institution come to us from Matthew chapter 26. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them.